Blog Talk Radio. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond. Love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Nigga, can't. Do you send a gun? Bubble, let me go with the freak, can 
to take it down. For the numbers, they say, oh, it's all about that I'm jealous. So don't you rock, you know, you know, I'm running to fuck me to fuck me on a load of a drug. Oh, you drop, oh. Keep up town, listen, keep up town, listen, keep up town. Look at the good, look at the good, look at the good, original one. Look at the good, keep up town, listen, keep up town, listen, keep up town. How do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. You said it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Because we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. Welcome to Africa on the Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to power and to provide you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you on the second day of May 2021 to Africa on the Move. Our theme today is part two. They are doing it their way. That's right, part two. They are doing it their way. But before we address the theme tonight, like always, the order of this particular program events will entail introduction to our political panelists and analysts, a segment on what's going on in their world and the community, and then we discuss various articles and issues and ideas as relates to our theme tonight, part two. They are doing it their way. I'm your host, Brother Africa, and it's always an honor to come to your homes. It's always an honor to be in the seat and take the heat as we define it and stand behind it. Come and join us today by dialing in at 323-679-0841 and share with us your views, your perspectives, your comments. And remember... Africa on the Move is a community project of the African Awareness Association. So on this note, you know how we get started with our party. Let's do that right now. Let's get started with our party. 
by introducing you to our political panelists and eminence for today's program. First, we bring in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Let me get this news on the board. Let's And Brother Haki, the mic is now yours. Oh, Brother Africa, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki, and of course, my thing is all about institution building. But I got to tell you, Brother Africa, you know, in listening to a lot of this uh, inane, insane kind of uh, speech taking place, uh, particularly with respect to the media, you know, I, you know, I felt compelled to respond to a lot of this insanity. And it became apparent to me when we talk about the problems inside that we can't dismiss the question around social conditioning of the American mind. So it inspired me to write this piece that hopefully will provide clarity to people in terms of the problems that we're confronted with in the society and why it's so crucial to understand that which uh, we, we, we don't feel often shapes the way we do things. So in event, check this out. Now, John Holland's piece, Slavery in the Age of Ego, is a well-conceived article about the Western enslavement of culture. The central thesis is culture that is pervasive, committed to the debasement of all humanity, ultimately culminating in death and destruction globally. Much of this destruction of life is achieved by ego manipulation of the public by shaping human perception. The desired perception is achieved by impacting both the conscious and unconscious mind, utilizing institutions to reinforce mental conditioning to ensure the desired outcome. The conscious mind, shaped by experiences, education, or social conditioning, is best facilitated by repetition. The conscious mind, which encompasses thoughts, feelings, ideas unknown to the individual, can best be facilitated by creation of perception well beyond the perceptual capabilities of most people. In order to better understand the function of the human brain, it is imperative we understand the function of, of the human brain was cataloged hundreds of thousands of years ago. African, ancient Africans conceptualized the inner workings of the human brain as optimal or primary and suboptimal as secondary, optimal being the conscious mind and suboptimal being the unconscious mind, combined to create a worldview which understands humanity as forces of creation or spiritual reality as opposed to not being not beings of creation. This distinction is, rele- is relevant in that while the Greeks and Romans embraced evolutionary energy in the human body, later on Germanic tribes resisted the metaphysics of creation by elevating notions creation is based solely on materialism or that which is tangible. Philosophically, the implications of dismissing amenta or consciousness as an- ancient Africans understood it would be severed, and the objectives of Achieving real humanity complicated. In addition, the clarity of understanding the oneness, oneness of humanity could have contributed greatly to engaging the motivations of human, humans, unlocking the secrets of, of the unconscious mind. It is at this point the role of ego drive gains relevance in the perils of manipulation of ego practiced by nation states. Westerners imbued with the notions of superiority and hubris mistakenly believe it is the destination of the West to rule the planet. Accommodating such grandiose thinking requires an ego of grand proportions. However, if we deconstruct such an ego, the basis of such ego has less to do with strength or more to do with insecurity. Ironically, the calculated manipulation by powerful institutions actually ends up creating a false construct or human existence most individuals simply cannot live up to. Facilitating grand illusions in people may be achievable in erecting a false identity, but the problem arises when constructed identities come face-to-face with information that directly challenges such perceptions that were socially engineered. This frustration is amplified by changes in society where internalization of false identity compels individuals to defend 
self-delusions, even when they realize it's all a lie. Given the precarious nature of U.S. society, many seek to alter perceived reality by engaging in alcohol or drug use. These fragile egos pose unique challenges for powerful elites, and the system's response has to be carried out in a way intended targets are unaware of the manipulation. Historically, the media has been indispensable assuaging the anxieties of fragile egos. Careful not to depict exploitation by the powerful media narratives consistently assures intended targets the system has their backs while ensuring them their value as team players. In the case of Derek Chauvin, the masses were assured his conviction was only an anomaly, that the system is alive and well. Aware of the fragility of the populations, methods employed to ensure the manipulation of the ego must be tempered according to the times. During the Reagan era, the Fairness Doctrine, that presents both conservative and progressive points of view, was eliminated. Moving from balanced programming to eliminating progressive voices in media speaks to a certain desperation among powerful elites' concerns. Competing views undermine their ability to assuage egos. Ironically, the manipulation employed by right-wing elites increasingly are being adopted by the left. The notion only the right-wing are susceptible to systematic manipulation of the ego is a fallacious argument. Council culture is indicative of systematic penetration. Council culture seeks to advocate the dismissal of individuals whose words are deemed offensive. This approach to, to political struggle does nothing to facilitate mass organization. In fact, council culture provides pretext not to organize. In keeping with ego drive, one could argue pursuing council culture as a strategy preserves the status quo while preserving the pract- practitioner's status. The presumption of status defined by powerful elites underscores the real paradox of what defines a human being. Ego drive sees human motivational influences in material terms, which complicates any allegiance to humanity. One of the inherent problems of seeing class as primary in society, we ill-advisedly give more, many progressives an out. If class is primary, what is the incentive to sacrifice one's status when socioeconomic defines human's worth in industrial society? In other words, the constant reinforcement of socioeconomic status importance and its impact on both the conscious and unconscious mind validates the motivation of maintaining status at all costs. Observing the ill-treatment of those denied status can only reinforce the desire not to be one of them. For example, observing systematic abuse of children at the southern border, class analysis compels most to believe the abuse they receive correlates directly to their lack of status. What intangibles would compel most progressives to involve themselves in what may be perceived as inevitable treatment of people without status? From a psychological point of view, maltreatment of children may come across as odious, but on the unconscious level, it affirms what is, what is known, that is, that avoidance of the same treatment is best avoided by maintaining your own perceived status. Class struggle as a primer, as primary inadvertently compartmentalized humanity, making the individual more aware of status, not less, which is precisely the intent of systematic manipulation of feeding the ego. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. First, let me say, ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, yes. Women hold up half the sky. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. 
I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. Thank you once again, Brother Asper, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Following Brother Moses, we now will bring in Brother Maurice, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Maurice. Revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa, and, and all of the Brother Moses, uh, Brother Haki, and everybody, uh, Sister Shelley, everybody who's on the panel tonight, and everybody who's listening. Again, my name is Brother Maurice. I'm a proud Pan-Africanist, working for the people, and I'm just here to, to, to uh, you know, give my contributions. And, and, again, thank you so much. It's an honor to be uh, on this platform, African on the Move. And, yes, we are on the move. Thank you for having me here. All right. Welcome, Brother Maurice. Father Brother Maurice, we're now going to bring in Sister Shirley. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Sister Shirley. Thank you, and revolutionary greetings to everybody. I look forward to the uh, program tonight. Uh, I continue my work, uh, most particular now, on both Cuba and Haiti. Uh, and I just look forward to hearing the discussion and hearing what's on your mind. Right, thank you, Sister Shirley. Fine, Sister Shirley, we bring you Sister Eleanor. Welcome to Africa to Move. Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa. Um, good evening, everyone. And thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's show. Um, this week, I have to say, the most important thing remains the uh, vaccination of everyone on the planet and to remind everyone that uh, in the United States, we need to change our opinions concerning education, health care, and housing and move them up to the level of human rights. Uh, housing, education, and health care are basic human rights. And I'm also very happy to see that uh, Jack Ma is now uh, back on the scene. His voice was cut. And uh, as we all know, he's the guy that founded uh, uh, the, uh, what is it called? It's the, Chi the Chinese version of uh, Amazon. And he was speaking out concerning civil rights in Hong Kong, and, and he was disappeared, but he's back on the scene. That's great. And, again, uh, human rights uh, should also include freedom of speech. So this wonderful form that you provide for us, Brother Africa and Pacifica, for people to be able to express themselves and uh, to be able to have dialogue on current events, the political condition and the pandemic is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. So to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. What we're going to do right now, we're going into a revolutionary uh, culture break, and when we come back, we're going to give our greetings and our thanks and our gratitude to the workers because we'd like to make sure that we hope that all workers had a successful May Day, yesterday, May the 1st. You are the ones that make everything that goes, and we'd like to congratulate the workers of the world for all that you do for humanity. So we can talk a little bit about the significance of May Day when we come back 
others will weigh in on what's going on in our world and our community. And you can join us by calling in at 323-679-0841 and hit 1. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Thank you. 
question the, the role of work is extremely important uh, not just in terms of the vitality of society but also in just in terms of the whole question in terms of equality to the extent equality exists it's going to be de- de- determined by uh, the conditions that the workers have to labor under so clearly that's very very important but one of the things I find problematic by the African I got to say even though we have tremendous respect for workers throughout the world the reality is that when we talk about the workers in the United States is a totally different paradigm and in particular when we talk about uh, the precarious class of people in America, those individuals in American society who would never have the opportunity to have a job, uh, it speaks to a very grim future for millions upon millions upon millions of people in society. And so therefore, the question in terms of the legitimacy or the worth of, of, uh, of workers in society, particularly in American society, really has no value at all. So I think as when we, when we reflect and think about the importance 
in terms of people having access to work. That we understand that fundamentally in America, uh, the, the system is at odds in terms of even creating conditions that's favorable to employ people. So clearly we got our problems uh, in America with respect to workers. But uh, more importantly, I think I, I will reiterate that it is good that people around the world and governments around the world recognize the contribution of workers. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. And now we're going to turn this mic over to Brother Moses. Your response in terms of the appreciation of the workers and honoring May Day. Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. International Workers Day, I mean, a, I mean, a day, you know, that is uh, well known by the working class conscious people. And um, it certainly, you know, like when when the Soviet Union was in existence, it would have been a great day there, and uh, obviously in China and uh, Cuba, um, the wherever progressive people are found, I mean, recognizing that the working class is the future. I mean, basically, the future of humanity belongs to the working class, and and. Uh, you know, it, it, history is just evolving that way. It's just a matter of consciousness, and uh, and uh, and anyway, I'm convinced that the future is bright and that we we will overcome. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses, brother Maurice. Talk to us. Your appreciation for workers. Yes. Yes. Strong appreciation uh, for workers, for us, we, um, workers. You know, without without workers, you wouldn't have civilization. Without workers, you wouldn't have uh, industrialization. Um, workers, man, you know, all the way from our ancestors and, and, and slaves, you know, we, we was working on those plantations, even though we, we was enslaved, building up capitalism. You know, it was the workers. It, it, we was building up uh, manufacturing, industrialization, but we was doing it in a, oppressive way through the system of capitalism and you know when you have um when you have um a day a day that's created by socialists uh, to mind you to to remind people it wasn't one <laughs> damn sure created by capitalism capitalists don't care about the work itself they care about our labor but uh just want to just want to say workers are, are, are very important um just from lighting a fire that's that takes work you know uh any 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 type of labor and washing clothes that's that's work um you know i'm, I'm uh so I, I appreciate the workers man and long story short and we celebrate and, and i would say this i conclude by saying may may first is the official uh day of work, workers day but workers day is every day every day is workers day and i conclude with that thank you brother maurice we're going down to sister shirley your appreciation and the significance of May Day and the significance of Worker, Sister Shirley. Yes, but yes, Brother Lee. Uh, workers are a fountain of creativity, a source of justice, an example for all of us, and they're combined in all areas of life. Uh, we must thank them for their efforts uh, that they put forth every day in order to improve the world, the world that we live and work in. So I salute them. Thank you, Sister Shirley. Sister Eleanor, 
your response to your appreciation for workers. Just Eleanor. Well, thank you, Brother Africa. I'd like to say um, <clears throat> thank you for all working people. Uh, the proletariat vanguard is the way that we will change the world. But if we've learned nothing since this virus is how essential workers are, and we now understand who the front um, line workers are. At one point, we thought front line workers were people in robes and nurses' uniforms, but now we know those front line workers are the people who keep the streets clean, move our garbage, who are in the stores to make it able, make it possible for us to live. Now we live in a capitalist economy where we will always have a surplus labor economy, workers that just will not be employed. They may be working, but they're not going to have a dollar that they earn. So I'd like to salute the the proletariat, and I'd like to let everyone know that we stand solid with, I stand solid with the workers, and I am a worker myself, so I don't want to, I'm not a member of that wonderful group that during this pandemic was able to build new social commodities with their families and other groups. I'm one of these people that's right out there on the front line. So um, I would just like to say International Workers' Day has been a holiday all my life. As Brother Moses talked about his high school days, I'm blessed that since being in elementary school, uh, May 1st has always been a day of celebration, parades, and glorification of the working class. So I say let's build strong unions, let's stand in solidarity together, let's support pan-Africanism, let's support workers around the world. Workers Unite. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And what we're going to do to pay a little a trick, a, a, a a small minute tribute to symbolize our understanding support of the workers. We're going to play this song that dedicates all the workers in the spirit of Angie Stone, because all of you are our brothers. We'll be right back when we come back. We discuss what's going on in the community. Hello. Uh-huh. 
understand history. Uh, Jack Ma, the uh, founder of Alibaba, uh, his attempt at formulating a monopoly in, in China didn't work. The Chinese government didn't go for the, based upon antitrust laws, wouldn't allow, wouldn't allow him to utilize his power for, for the purpose of creating monopoly, which means that the economy as a whole suffered. In America, he could pull that off, but in, in China, they won't allow monopolies to manifest themselves. So it's just important that we point that out. So when we talk about Jack Ma, understand precisely you know, who you're defending. All right, now, in terms of one of the things that concerned me, Brother Africa, is this question around Anthony, Anthony, the case of Anthony Thompson. He's a young 70-year-old uh, African youth uh, who was killed in a bathroom in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, this whole situation started as a result of a parent uh, making a call to the police. The parent, Regina Perkins, alleged uh, the, the young man was, was uh, assaulting her, her daughter. Uh, it was also stated that uh, Ms. Perkins stated that the young man was carrying a gun. Well, Ms. Perkins later stated that wasn't true. What she told the police was that the young man is known to have a gun, not that he currently has a gun on him. So in, in, so normally when you see that kind of manipulation in terms of news, then you know 
that the, the, the authorities have no intention to pursue charges against the police officers. Now, interestingly enough, now, um, this officer, Jonathan Claybaugh, uh, and other police officers arrived at his school and confronted the youth in a bathroom stall, according to their narrative. They say that um, they attempted to restrain a young man in a stall, which means that when you talk about just in terms of physicality, you got two police officers, one young man inside of a stall, so you would think that the advantage would lie with the police officers, but apparently that's not what's happening. Now, when they talked about when they attempted to restrain a young man, um, they said they observed a gun in the front pocket of his hoodie. Now, the problem I have with this narrative is that, you know, one of the things that when, if you're going to have a weapon on you, on you, the one thing you don't want to do is put it where, you know, where police are likely to observe it. The mere fact that they say it was in his hoodie raises questions for me in terms of, you know, the authenticity of the argument that the police are making. So I'm very suspicious in terms of a particular argument. Also, I think when you, what you want, if the position of the cops is that he, they observe a gun in his hoodie and they got their own top of him in the stall, then it seems to me something as simple as you know, grabbing his arm and ensuring they mobilize his arms to make sure he can't grab the weapon would suffice. So the mere fact that they shot him suggests that this young man was able to overpower the police uh, and, uh, and in the process, he was shot. It doesn't seem make sense to me, particularly when you start talking about adrenaline flowing, and you're saying these cops' position is that he has a gun on him, and it seems to me that that would cause your adrenaline to actually increase. And so, therefore, it seems to me, given the, the location inside the stall in terms of putting your hands on this young man uh, and seeing that gun, it seems to me that the kind of strength that you would, uh, that, that, that you could muster would probably be incredible. Uh, and, of course, some would argue that's all speculation, but the bottom line is that if their position is, their narrative is that he, they observed the gun, then the question is whether or not he was able – there's nothing in the report saying that he attempted to draw a gun or there was no, there was no, recommend, there was no, 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 no case or, or, or no uh, documentation that says that the, young man, that, the, that the gun was actually turned in. So this is very problematic for me in terms of what's going on. Um, now – also, the, the question is, you know, they, they talk about the fact that uh, this young man um, supposedly uh, shot, shot at the cops. That was a lie. The young man, young man didn't shot, shoot at the cops. In fact, there were two bullets shot, and both bullets came from Officer Claybone. Uh, and what's interesting about those shots, one, one, one hit a resource officer in the leg, and the other one hit the young man. So to me, it doesn't make much sense in terms of that, in terms of that dynamic, because when you start to think about it, in that proximity uh, of cop, you know, to, uh, to that young man, the mere fact that he had to fire off two shots raises, in my mind, raises some weird concerns in terms of the, uh, the, 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 uh, the narrative that was painted by the cop. Uh, it seems to me, you know, that, um, you know, if he's that close to the, if to, to the young man, it seems to me it's, it's, it's not difficult to make a, a, a clean shot in terms of actually being to hit him squarely because you're your feet away from him. So you, at least according to that narrative, your, your feet, your feet's away from the young man. So in terms of actually hitting the young man, shouldn't have been difficult at all. It seems to me that the, the two shots was was raises red flags because one of the things is that in addition to being close to him, the mere fact that one bullet ricocheted and hit the um, hit the the guard, the, the resource officer's leg, suggests possibly, uh, you know, that uh, the first that that uh, the officer attempted to shoot the young man. The young man attempted to deflect it which explained why the bullet may ricochet, and subsequently the cop was able to put a, ch- a bullet in the, in the young man's chest. Um, so see, so for, for, for all those reasons, it's very problematic for me. Now, if, if, if it was even more problematic about the Africa, um, Officer Claiborne, he made a statement, quote, I saw 
Officer Brian Baldwin dropped out of view and believed he had been shot, end quote. Now, my concern is this. Now, no other bullets was dislodged other than Claiborne. So if I ask the question, what is the material conditions to justify uh, something that never happened? Clearly, he's lying. His notion that he heard a shot, never the, the physical evidence never supported that. There was only two bullets, and both came from his, his revolver. So the mere fact that he said that raised questions in terms of, you know, his, his authenticity and whether or not he's lying. I, my position is that he's lying, and given that, that statement in and of itself means that he should have been at least suspended, but this guy wasn't even suspended. So, 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 so it seems to me that the cover-up is in full effect. Uh, also, um, you've got to ask yourself, when you talk about the, the cop dropping out of, out of view in a, in a school's bathroom, I raise a question in the context of a bathroom. I mean, how do you fall? How do you fall out of out of out of out of, out of sight? Unless the officer is here behind a stall or something, you know, <laughs> maybe that may explain why. But to me, it makes no sense at all, particularly in, in that particular location. And you know, one of the things for the Africa, um, uh, his his narrative, you know, not not only being problematic in terms of the kind of rubbish that he espoused. But one of the things that was very, very interesting is that, you know, the, the narrative that the, the, the investigators took was only uh, Claiborne's narrative. Uh, Officer Baldwin's narrative wasn't, wasn't taken. And the reason being, Officer, Officer, uh, <clears throat> Officer um, uh, uh, Claiborne, uh, cleverly what he did was that uh, he isolated the partner. And so, therefore, if, in fact, there was something going on that his partner knew wasn't, wasn't legit, uh, he simply, you know, uh, by uh, excluding him from actually being seen, being on the scene when that young boy actually got shot, he conveniently created a scenario in which only his narrative would, 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 would be taken and so become the official narrative. So one of the things ironic is that when you start talking about police officers in a tense situation, since when does one officer abandon the other officer in a, in a critical situation? None of it makes any sense to me, Brother Africa. And the mere fact that they are, they're holding off on term and releasing the body camera footage raises suspicions, in, you know, in my mind. So clearly, I think this is the quintessential anatomy of a cover-up. I think we've got to be very concerned about this. And I certainly hope that Ben Crump, uh, you know, uh, you know, spends some time in terms of looking into this because clearly there's something I missed in terms of this particular trial. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, move to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I um, I really don't want to waste people's time. Um, um, I I think people, other people, have more insights into what's going on. For me, the pandemic is you know it's still raging, of course, and and uh, we're still faced with the war machine. Uh, and um you know, I planted some seeds, so to speak, and I'm waiting for them to grow and so um, um anyway i will let I'll let other people take up this spot in this time. Thank you thank you, thank you, Brother Moses. Now, what we're gonna do we can go to Brother Maurice, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Maurice? Yes, yes, brother Africa. Well, a couple things. Um the first first thing is that our ancestors, Africans, um and ancestral remains continue to be desecrated in Waynesburg, Virginia, uh in Hanover, Virginia. But uh in Waynesburg, uh in Waynesburg, Virginia, they found seventy bone fragments near the first Baptist church site 
uh, Colonial Williamsburg bought the church and, and, and tore the old building down over the, the grave sites that was at the church in 1955. But apparently um, they're just now coming across this information or these uh, graves. Also in Hanover, Virginia, um, this happened last year sometime. Wegmans, had, Wegmans is going to be build a grocery store and going to desecrate another African ancestral burial ground in the Brown Grove community, uh, African community, predominantly African community. They're going to put a Wegman grocery store there, and they're going to do some more desecration to African burial grounds. Also here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm at right now, uh, the University of Richmond, my alma mater, was uh, was built by Africans, but also built on top of the slaves once again of African desecration once again um, in the form at the University of Richmond. Another form of desecration when we, that's been going on in Egypt, they found additional uh, 110 burial tombs uh, discovered in Egypt, and it would be added to the tourism and antiquities capitalism that has been going on with our African artifacts and pyramids and museums and et cetera. Uh, when you got all of that going on, you also got, uh, 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 I'm sorry, you got a, a golf course that is desecrating the African uh, burial ground in Florida, Florida. You got another university, the Pennsylvania campus, is desecrating African burial ground up in Pennsylvania. And also you have a bus depot in East Harlem, New York, that sits on top, that also sits on top, again, another African burial ground. Uh, last but not, not least, in regards to desecrations of African uh, remains, you have Clemson, South Carolina, Clemson University just just came out, and they also is uh, desecrating um, our ancestors' remains. Um, and all, you got all this going on, but a couple of weeks ago, or last month in April, you had a Confederate uh, Confederate cemetery here in Richmond, Virginia, was desecrated, um, and a dollar sign was attached to the damage in the amount of two hundred and thousand dollars. Now, apparently, you know, the dollar sign attached. Oh my God, they're giving Confederates reparations, if you will, <laughs> through the through the rebuilding or repairing of the of the deserved desecration to the um, burial ground. So anyhow, I digress. Um, and Clemson, uh, they just came across, you know, beer cans. Is this area where beer cans, where parties be at on campus? And they they recently cleaned all of the beer cans up, all of the the party uh, paraphernalia, and they are they put uh, they placed some white flags, hundreds of white flags that mark and represent African burial tombs. So that's all I have for that portion of what's going on in my world. Now the second portion of my presentation that I want to speak about is the ongoing. We're talking about the African future. The African future is in jeopardy due to our African youth dying, being murdered all over the world. Uh, recently, a 14-year-old was charged with um, mistakenly, he was mistakenly mur murdering a 15-year-old friend. They got a hold to a, a firearm, and he was mistakenly murdered. Also, in, in Mozambique, 11 youth, this was recent, this is old news, but it's still going on. 11 youth, 11 youth that was reported being beheaded due to the seeds of violence planted by neocolonialism, imperialism. Um, also, along with that, you had uh, 300, uh, 300 or so schoolgirls abducted in Nigeria. 
279 was reportedly returned uh, on, on top of the police officers killing and atta- attacking a, a youth. Um, also here again in Richmond, Virginia, two women and, and three children were shot. Uh, reportedly, the mother and the child was uh, the mother and child was uh, died from these bullets, and they were shot by men who are also victims to capitalist propaganda of commercialized petty bourgeois hip hop movies, video games, etc. So this is what's what's going on in 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 in, in, uh, in my community, and I want to end by saying it is imperative. I'm gonna say this again: it is very very imperative that we have a Young Pioneers political educational camp for our youth, wherever we at on, in, 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 wherever we're at as workers, as socialists, pan-Africanists. Uh, we need political, political education for our youth so, they can, so we can go back and trans, uh, trans, translate that, the title that I said, Af- African Future is in Jeopardy, and make it more not in jeopardy, make it more fruitful, make it more uh, uh, on the verge of, 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 of achieving a, a, a unified, a real scientific socialist Africa and, and, and a, a unified uh, scientific socialist America as well. Uh, any country or where we're at on the map, we need scientific socialism. That's the only way we're going to erase oppression, the, on, the ongoing violence of youth uh, being beheaded. Come on, man. Come on. So I, I conclude with that. All right, thank you, Brother Maurice. Next we'll go to Sister Shirley. Sister Shirley, what's going on in your world and the community? Sister Shirley. Thank you, Brother Lee. Um, I have uh, two things. The first one is very uh, quick, and it concerns uh, Biden. And for anyone uh, who is breathlessly waiting to find out if Biden has anything to say about Haiti needs to know about something that he said back in uh, 1990, 1991, probably right around the first coup d'etat against President Aristide. And he made the following comment on a show uh, of uh, Charlie Rose's. And the comment is this, and it is shocking. If Haiti quietly sunk into the Caribbean or rose 300 feet in the air, it wouldn't matter a whole lot to our interests. And if you look at the words that he used, this is a terribly racist genocidal statement that he made on Charlie Rose's show. And I believe what I'm going to do with it, I am going to circulate this statement as far and wide as I can. It's a short statement. I think people will be able to use it. and he should be confronted with it publicly. Um, and this was uh, the statement appeared in a video that Jeremy Scahill had done about Biden's horrendous uh, foreign policy record. 
So anyway, that's that. The second item I'd like to talk about, since we all had a rather lengthy discussion about uh, housing and, and homelessness, I wanted to share with you a very interesting article uh, that I assembled uh, upon, which edu- educated me quite a bit about a major case uh, that is unfolding in Los Angeles regarding uh, homelessness. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a bit from the article. So I uh, apologize for that, but the article does such a good job of of describing what's going on. I thought, thought it best to do it that way. On Tuesday, and, and this uh, article comes from uh, popularresistance.org, which is an excellent publication. The title of the article is A Watershed Ruling on, on Homelessness, and it was published on April the 25th. On Tuesday, April 20, U.S. District Court Judge David Carter of the Central District of California issued a ruling that is likely to become a watershed moment in the United States' response to homelessness. In March of last year, the Los Angeles Alliance for Human Rights and several individuals sued the city and county of Los Angeles, alleging that they had not only fundamentally failed to address the homeless emergency in Los Angeles, but had in fact contributed to creating it over the course of several decades. The complaint they filed reads more, and they go in to talk about another report about another city. And uh, so when the judge uh, uh, received this complaint, he went to his own, he took the opportunity to go to school in homelessness Uh, himself. He began immersing himself in the issue, and then he decided later on to do a major hearing uh, on it. Now, just a little bit about the the homeless situation in Los Angeles. Uh, This case is specifically targeting Skid Row, which is about a 50-block area between Los Angeles City and Los Angeles County. Um, and um, the, uh, the, the homeless uh, population there is um, pretty much, well, actually, they started it back in about 1800. A lot of people started collecting there and because it was near the, the uh, train station. And then in 1976, the city adopted a quote-unquote containment policy for Skid Row, uh, collecting and concentrating what they considered the the city's undesirable population element uh, there and using the police to enforce the containment policy. All right. In 2018, the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority commissioned an ad hoc committee on black people experiencing uh, homelessness. At the time, black people were only 9% of the Los Angeles County 
uh, population, but about 40% of the homeless population. Today, they are 42% of the population. The the committee's report lays out the decades of structural racism in housing policy, policing, employment, healthcare, education to services, and access to opportunities that contributed to the dramatic overrepresentation of black people within the city's homeless community. Now, over this past year, uh, Judge Carter, um, uh, again, he's continuing to learn more about homelessness, and then he decided to leave the courthouse and hold a hearing in a tent in Skid Row. And there he invited uh, several people who live at Skid Row to come in and provide uh, testimony. Uh, There was opportunity for exchange of questions and answers. Also, there were city officials uh, that were also invited and that came. Noticeably absent was the mayor of the city, um, Eric um, Garcetti, and I'll get to him a little bit later. So the original uh, group, the Los Angeles um, Alliance for for Human Rights, who issued uh, its suit, uh, filed a motion for a preliminary injunction to try to force the city and county to finally step up and respond at a scale that was equal to the problem. The judge approved the motion without holding a single uh, hearing on it. And uh, he went off and he wrote a 110-page order about all of the information that he had acquired, evidentiary information, during uh, the hearing. And um, then he began to apply pressure through uh, public statement and actual email to the mayor of the city and also the head of the Los Angeles County uh, Board of Supervisors, uh, Madam, uh, what's her name? Solis is her name. so he, what he did is he required in this uh, the city and the county to perform an audit on all local, state, and federal grant funding, all developers who were funded by the city and county to develop affordable housing, and all funds committed to mental health and substance uh, abuse treatment programs. But that was just a warm-up. Carter ordered the city and county to provide offers of shelter within 90 days to all unaccompanied women and children in Skid Row, within 120 days for all families there, and within 180 days for everyone who was left. 
Further, he requires them to offer housing and treatment services to all individuals within Skid Row who needed the services of either the uh, Department of Mental Health or the Department of Public uh, Health. Uh, And to enable all of that happening, the judge also ordered um, the, uh, the county and the city to place $1 billion in escrow. He ordered the cessation of all sales or transfers of public lands, ordered a report within 30 days on specific actions to address the structural barriers that have led to the overrepresentation of black people among the homeless population and ordered Los Angeles Mayor Garcetti and County Board Supervisor Ilda Solis to explain why they have not declared an emergency related to homelessness in order to expedite solutions. Now, generally, Speaking, uh, it says in this article that courts have ruled that individual residents do not have a right to demand aid from their government. However, there is the one important exception when the government was an active, willing, and knowing participant in creating the conditions that uh, led to the need for aid. This is known as the quote. State created, state created danger doctrine. Judge Carter invokes this as the primary justification for his sweeping order that Los Angeles created layers of structural racism that deprived black people of opportunity and it had an, ex, an explicit policy of containing the homeless population in Skid Row and then depriving them of their services. Judge Carter's order is an amazing read, and I just like to read a, a couple of uh, uh, paragraphs from that, and then I'll pause for a minute. Um, he says, how in Los Angeles, and this, this appears in kind of the foreword to his 110-page decision. Here in Los Angeles, how did racism become embedded in the policies and structures of our new city? What if there was a conscious effort, a deliberate intent, a cowardice of inaction through redlining, containment, eminent domain, exclusionary zoning, and just gentrification designed to segregate and disenfranchise communities of color. The city and county of Los Angeles created a legacy of entrenched structural racism. As shown, as shown most clearly in the present crisis of homelessness, the effects of structural of Structural racism continue to threaten the lives of the people of color in Los Angeles. He goes on to say, there can be no defense to the indefensible. For all the declarations of success that we are fed, citizens themselves see the heartbreaking misery of the homeless and the degradation of their city and county. Los Angeles has lost its parks, 
beaches, school, sidewalks, and highway systems due to the inaction of city and county officials who have left our homeless citizens with no other place to turn. All of the rhetoric, promises, plans, and budgeting cannot obscure the shameful reality of this crisis that year after year there are more homeless Angelinos and year after year more homeless Angelinos die on the streets. All right. Now, since this uh, ruling came out, um, the mayor of the city realized that the spotlight was shining very brightly now on him. And his name is Eric uh, Garcetti. He is the son of the former district attorney of Los Angeles, uh, famous uh, during the O.J. Simpson trial. And Eric Garcetti has been the mayor of Los Angeles from 2013. He was uh, reelected in 2017. So he has been in office quite a long time and a very good person to look at and shine the light on to find out what has he been doing and what does he plan to do in light of uh, this decision from the court. Now, uh, as you might expect, expect, the city has decided to uh, push back. Uh, they uh, say that they are going to appeal this uh, to the Ninth District uh, Appellate Court. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to get uh, the judge in this case, uh, David Carter, to pause the uh, movement of homeless people on the schedule that the, uh, ju- that the judge had ordered to pause that until they could find out how an appeal might go for them at the appellate court. Uh, judge Carter has said, no way, I've got a schedule and I still wait for the mayor of this city and the head of the county um, supervisors to come to me to sit down and tell me how they plan to deal uh, with this um, emergency. Now, two things that they're uh, that they're 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 that the city is trying to to poke a hole in uh, the case on. And one of them is that they are uh, trying to say that this alliance, this uh, group, this alliance, L.A. Alliance for Health, I mean for human rights that brought the case, really can't speak for third parties who were affected and might be injured. And David, uh, the J- Judge Carter's response to that is, Au contraire, he said, we have several individual people who are Skid Row residents who are parties to this case. So, and we have plenty of their testimony. Then the um, city said that really they didn't think that there should be such uh, such a rush to proceed with this case because um that that uh, the judge was not showing that 
indigent, indigent people were being irreparably harmed. And that had to be the most ridiculous statement for them to say because then it allowed the judge, Carter, to come back and say, I can't think of anything uh, more irreparable than dying in Skid Row on the streets. Um, so don't don't even go there. Now, this is where everything stands at this point. Uh, I'm certain that uh, the city of Los Angeles um, is very nervous about the public re- reaction about this because I think more and more is coming about uh, about their total neglect of the situation. And more importantly, I think about this whole containment issue of trying to contain uh, LA's problems regarding homelessness into areas that uh, there was no way that people could get the assistance they needed. Okay, folks, I thank you for listening to that long, a long thing, but I just wanted to share what I thought was a really important um, case. It's a case that shows you what can happen when you get an activist judge who's on the side um, of the people. And it also shows uh, that when people organize, um, that uh, change is possible. So I thank you. Sister Shirley, the brothers and sisters on the corner say it was long, but very strong. So we continue to move forward. Good, good, good. Next we go to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world in the community? Sister Eleanor. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Sister Shirley uh, for that uh, wonderful uh, presentation because one of the greatest issues in our country is uh, housing and not being a human right and homelessness, and it seems to have a black face. Uh, The industrial prison project seems to have a disproportionately black face, and so does homelessness. And uh, it brings up a very minimum issue of uh, the Reeves Center right here in the District of Columbia at 2000 U Street Northwest. And uh, the homeless are there because they're in view and it's a place for them to be safe while we walk around them. And right now there are many people in the city that are – thinking they're doing some good, wanting to change the physical structure of uh, the sidewalks around 2000 U Street, uh, 2014 Street, just as uh, Sister Shirley mentioned, because they don't want to see these homeless people as they go about. And they're workers, too. They're just workers with high income. You have to remember there are many people that are homeless that have income. They just can't afford these high rents. And um, they want to restructure the landscape and put more greenery around so that the homeless will be displaced. But where where will they go? Ultimately, if we don't create uh, or deal with the issue of housing as a human right, 
then uh, the issue becomes where do these people go? You you can uh, redesign the sidewalks. You can take away the seating at bus stops. But where do they go? Do they continue to live in alleys? Do some good Samaritans allow them to stay in garages? Where I live, there's a family that's living in their car because some generous person allowed this family to move in and the parents go to to work. They're frontline workers during this pandemic. And their children are trying to find a hot spot to go to school, Uh, you know, without... So this is an outrage. But in my world, again, I'm paying attention to the pandemic. I'm hoping that uh, we will all view each other on the planet as brothers and sisters and look at the situation in India and how it's had a big fallout on the production of pharmaceuticals, how um, India needs to make some effort to divert the uh, commercial use of oxygen to uh, medical use so that we can save lives in India. I'm also concerned with the fact that less than 3% of the African continent has had access to vaccine and that we make this vaccine available globally. Again, I believe that uh, through organizing Uh, through uh, collective action as a people, we should be able to place uh, pressure on Congress as well as Moderna to release their proprietary information to any pharmaceutical company on the globe to be able to manufacture these vaccines and get get the jabs in the arm. That would also mean lifting the embargo against Cuba. Cuba doesn't send uh, uh, anything but help to the people of the world. It sends doctors. It offers education. And so we need to lift that embargo and begin to work with the Cubans and see and uh, have them help us with their great success in addressing this pandemic. In addition... As Brother Hakeem said, he talked about Jack Ma. When I spoke about this Jack Ma, brother, it's just that I believe all people should have a right to free speech. And as I understood it, uh, China's been definitely addressing the issue of these uh, big capitalist monopolies, but we need to address it here in the United States, the Zuckerbergs and all of these people. However, Jack was talking about Hong Kong and Hong Kong maintaining. When I spoke about him, it was because of his interest in Hong Kong and Hong Kong being able to continue as it has instead of having China's uh, many restrictions is placed on Hong Kong in terms of free speech. And uh, so it was quite a different thing. I'm not supporting these massive global monopolies. I'm simply supporting free speech, and we're blessed to be able this evening to uh, speak freely. And uh, there's so much to learn and from just having everyone have access to free speech. It's the workers that advance ideas and culture and the arts and industry. 
the billionaires are people who come along and know how to merchandise it, but it is the proletariat who is the producer of uh, all things, period. Whether or not they're, like Malcolm X said, they bought us here for a job, but I guess getting paid is another thing. So uh, I'm concerned about the pandemic, getting vaccines out to everyone, um, I see the uh, uh, the problem in Brazil is, is still a problem. And one thing that has happened globally, you see that everywhere there are demonstrations where the poor in Colombia are demonstrating for very basic things, food, you know, during this pandemic. You see uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil telling people he's with them and, and promoting this narrow nationalism. Um, where it's Brazil alone. He's similar to a Trump, you know. So we really need to combat these neo-fascists, as you said, mobilize, organize the people, people with different views and ideas to come together, learn from each other, and organize to make a better world where workers are empowered to make a decent living. This pandemic it has really, uh, for the the upper class and the stable middle class, it's given them a time to invest in uh, social commerce and building their families. For the for a, a working family in the Bronx, they're stuck in their five uh, store in their five floor walk up apartment for months at a time. We saw uh, in Kenya where the police. Uh, viewing the people, the slum dwellers in Nairobi, as if they're the cause of the virus. And I saw a la- where a young boy, uh, 10 or 11 years old, was shot by the police as they were using live ammunition, trying to move uh, people into their homes because of a curfew. So I say that uh, this May Day weekend, Uh, The workers are the liberators of the world, so let's stand together. Know that we live in a capitalist economy where there's always going to be surplus labor, so that means someone's got to be on welfare, someone's got to be out of work to make the rest of us afraid and accept the marginal wages that we earn and keep going to work. So I just say... um, Again, as I I guess isn't going to be my motto, uh, we're going to have to change the concept of housing being a choice, health care being a choice, education being a choice. No, it's a right. It's a human right. And we need to develop a strong curriculum in this country that makes uh, uh, science, uh, mathematics, and the arts, and even physical education a part of our children's daily lives, and learning should happen from the cradle to the grave. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We now go to Brother Anthony. We will bring in Brother Anthony and ask him what's going on in his world and the community. Brother Anthony, welcome. Thank you. And uh, revolutionary greetings to you, and the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Uh, Let's see, a few things. Um, 
Uh, hopefully, I won't repeat what was said earlier. Uh, but uh, let's see. Uh, my concern is um, is efforts on the part of certain uh, political forces inside the U.S. to quell uh, uh, free speech that Sister Eleanor had talked about. Uh, there are efforts underway in various parts of the U.S to uh, deny the working people the right to hold demonstrations, to protest against uh, the various forms of oppression that they're facing. And uh, and uh, that concerns me inside the U.S., that, uh, that, it, it, that it, it is becoming increasingly totalitarian under the guise of uh, of uh, uh, increasing security and protecting property and uh, you know uh, and also uh, let's see I want to mention that uh, the all African People's Revolutionary Party GC in conjunction with the National Council of Arab Americans, is organizing our annual African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, Nakba commemoration on May 26, 2021. Uh, this will be a virtual event, and uh, which means that anybody with uh, uh, with a, a phone or or internet access can check it out. And our theme this year is one unified socialist Africa, one Palestine. And uh, we and we chose this theme because uh, Africans. Uh, uh, throughout the world will only be uh, uh, liberated when Africa is united and socialist. And Palestinians will only be liberated if their homeland is united as one, instead of fragmented by the forces of Zionism as it is presently. And uh, and also, uh, you know, uh, the violence being perpetrated against Africans uh, throughout the diaspora continues unabated, and uh, and it and it's going to continue to get worse until we organize in order to protect ourselves and strike blows for liberation. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to ask our participants, uh, if, give them a few minutes of all the things they may have heard or what's going on in various people's world and their community, uh, if they would like to make some points to respond to clarity for information purposes, for learning purposes. We'll give everybody a few minutes maybe to respond to some of the things that maybe stood out the most to them based upon what what has been stated in terms of what's going on in the various people world. We'll start off with you, Brother Haki. Any particular 
responses or responses to what has been stated? Yeah, well, you know, I I enjoyed uh, Sister uh, Sister Cheryl's uh, Sister Shirley's uh, 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 critique on what's going with respect to homelessness and 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 Los Angeles. But one of the things I think we got to be very clear on when we talk about homelessness, we got to understand the structure, the structural nature, the structural nature of homelessness. Uh, you know, one of the things that you know we don't want to necessarily confront is that when we when we talk about homelessness, we talk about a policy uh, to all, to uh, in, in, in all seriousness, is a direct result of, uh, of planning. So to that extent, we talk about a conscious uh, understanding that homelessness serves a particular interest. And when we talk about the interest that it serves, then one thing is very, very clear. When we talk about capitalism, we can't talk about capitalism without understanding capitalism in crisis. And so when we talk about when we talk about you know use this use this monopolies you know that exist in society, we talk about fewer and fewer people having more and more access to the wealth. They clearly have profound impacts, negative impacts on the masses of the people in society. But the ruling class has made a conscious decision that the, the quality of life for masses of people in society is not important. As long as they got a, a penal colony in place uh, for the purpose of incarcerating people a police force that acts as a military in terms of the oppression of people, then they figure as far as the, as far as the formula they need in terms of prevailing, it's already in place. And so this is the fundamental problem we have. And so I like the fact that the judge stood up and said, listen, what you're doing is morally, philosophically, is wrong, and we're going to attempt, attempt to address it. And I think the thing she said, she talked, she, I mean, she correct me if I'm wrong, but state-centered, uh, there's a, the, uh, the, uh, the clause by the state, uh, state-centered um, danger, whatever, I, maybe I got that wrong, but anyway, uh, that that sounds good. I mean, it's it's. I mean, but from a legal point of view, one of the things I think uh, this this state is going to be hard pressed, uh, uh, you know, to validate is this notion that somehow that you're going to compel the state, the city government, uh, to address issues in which is simply not suited to address. Uh, often we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about homelessness, we say where well, it's a function is a function of the city. Yeah, but what we don't talk about, homelessness is a function of the corporation. And the bottom line is that when we talk about real power in society, we can't talk about that without talking about corporations. And so, therefore, it, the clause may sound good, but in terms of being enforceable, I seriously doubt that. And I'd definitely be following this case to see what transpired in, North, North, uh, I mean, uh, in, in Los Angeles in relation to homelessness. But I'm not as optimistic in terms of the article conveys. You know, I'm, I'm not really that optimistic because one of the things is that the system is in real decline. And one of the things we've seen increasingly number of billionaires being to say this thing is going to collapse, and they're saying it now. They understand that for, I mean, for the last 10 years, they've been understanding fundamentally the real contradictions associated with capitalism. But they benefit, and so therefore they're being somewhat muted in terms of their response. Now they're beginning to actually come out and say, you know what? What we're doing here is not, it's not sustainable. It's going to collapse. Now they're saying that. And so clearly, you know, the people in positions of power understand that fundamentally. And so what they're doing, they're struggling for longevity. And the only way to, 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 to achieve longevity is to want to become more repressive in terms of what you do. And so issues like homelessness becomes not issues simply because, you know, it doesn't serve interest in terms of the ruling class longevity. And so, therefore, it's not likely to be taken seriously. So that is a real danger that we're going to find it with when we talk about ending homelessness in society. Unless the people are really organized, I mean truly organized, and willing to take a stand with that sacrifice that have to be made, this is not going to change. This is just the this, this is my view in terms of the, the steadfastness or the the, 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 the adamant corruption 
that encompasses capitalism. And unless we're going to do something in terms of combating that, then I don't see realistically, you know, homelessness coming to an end as a, as a fact. My position is that homelessness is actually going to uh, um, actually um, exacerbate. So I think it's going to become worse and worse and worse. And this is the fundamental problem we have in terms of homelessness in the, in the society, and I'll close with that. All right. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, any response you would like to make based upon anything you may have heard tonight, Brother Moses? Well, I've, I've got things on cruise control. I'm, I'm sitting back and enjoying what's being said. Uh, uh, the analysis are good, and so, and we've got enough people, so I'm just um, relaxing and listening. Thank you. All right. Good enough, Brother Moses. Let's go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, your response to things that may have been shared on what's going on in your world community segment. Any, any thoughts, any rebuttal, any comments brother Maurice no uh honestly I do not have any comments um I'm, I'm uh, I, I appreciate uh the presentation given uh with uh, in regards to the judge um making the right uh determination but at the end of the day uh the pe- the power relies on the people um you know uh I guess reforms I'm not you know reforms or or band-aid wins, uh, temp- temporary wins is not the solution um, to our issues uh, dealing with, ho- you know, de- when, when we talk about homelessness, um, in order to, in order to, the only way we can uh, eradicate homelessness is through, through people power, through organization, political education. Um, those, those that, you know, those are my, my comments um, to what was presented. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Next, we'll go to Sister Shirley. Any comments or rebuttals you'd like to make based upon some of the issues you have heard tonight? Sister Shirley. Yes, I I would like to agree with uh, Brother Haki's comments uh, regarding my uh, presentation. uh, Brother Haki, I think you are exactly right. The the only thing that... in sharing that, um, I think is it does give us an example of how uh, something can be worked through a court system. Uh, but I see this that if it's ever going to work, it goes to directly to 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 what you were saying. You have people have to be extremely organized. And there are a lot of forces uh, there to do everything to defeat you. I just found that the case itself was uh, extraordinary uh, in that the people involved uh, were trying. But I think think you're right in the end. This this thing is going to collapse, and it's going to collapse for all the usual uh, reasons. I would also like to say something about the Hong Kong issue, if I could. Uh, Hong Kong is a purely produced National Endowment for Democracy operation. So um, when it comes to concern about Hong Kong, um, I think that there are some other issues that the U.S. government is deeply involved in. Uh, that are swaying uh, actions there. 
Thank you. Thank you, Sister Shorty. Sister Eleanor, any final comments or rebuttal or response you'd like to make based upon what you heard concerning various issues that are going on in people's world and community? Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Thank you. Um, I think that this has been a fabulous presentation, and one thing that I had read uh, in 2019, uh, there was a, a survey by Glassdoor talking about workers, and they found that in the U.S., uh, 61% of U.S. employees, U.S. workers, have found that in the workplace there to be discrimination. So every day workers are facing uh, expressions of racism, sexism, ageism, uh, ableism, meaning, you, you, you know, depending on your disabilities and this kind of thing. So it's so important that we organize and unite. And I thank you, Sister Shirley, because though Jack Ma may be uh, definitely, as I said, uh, the uh, Jack Ma's, the, the, the Mackenzie Scotts, all of these people, wherever they live, the Michael Dells, uh, they need they, they, we need to bust up these monopolies. However, when it comes to freedom of speech and democracy in Hong Kong, I stand united with them as I stand with the people of Cuba. And, uh, and we have to take a position as individuals based on what's going on right now and what's happening in the world right now. For example, I saw that the United States was considering taking 300,000 Cuban refugees, and I was going, refugees from what? Because uh, definitely uh, they lost a great president uh, with Chavez, and uh, he helped us so much in the United States when our working men and women could not afford oil to heat their homes. He and Joe Kennedy made, the people of Venezuela made sure that that oil hit these shores and people could heat their homes with heating oil and these kind of things. So I'm, I'm wondering, who are these alleged refugees and are they, and, and, and what are they running from? And again, I support Cuba and I think we should lift that embargo. Uh, this issue of homelessness, Sister Shirley, that was such a great thing, and potentially the judicial system should be able to bring these things to the uh, forefront. However, I think many of these things have to be legislative, and Brother Anthony brought up a wonderful point. When you see what's happening legislatively in, in Georgia and other places where they want to uh, take away our rights of assembly, making three or more people a demonstration. And uh, it's just outrageous what's happening in the United States and the fallout of the, of the 2020 election and how state legislatures are trying to uh, uh, become some type of uh, totalitarianist state that limits the rights of free speech and assembly. We have to stand strong and united and fight back 
We fight back with our pens. We fight back with forms like uh, this one here. We fight back with our art in every way possible. We we stand united, and united, I believe, the people will never be defeated. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, Brother Hello. Anthony. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, Brother Anthony. Any final thoughts or comments based on what you have heard on discussion and what's going on in your world and community? Brother Anthony. Yes. Um um my con- uh what I'm concerned is the the US seems to be very concerned about democracy in other parts of the world but seems to be less concerned about it here. And uh you know and uh you know and uh, US foreign policy reflects that. Um the U.S. can ill based a, a careful study of U.S. history shows that the U.S. cannot afford to give lessons on democracy to anyone. And uh, you know uh, this history has uh, this this country has had had a long history of running roughshod over the masses of people inside the society, particularly the indigenous and African, uh, uh, you, you, you know, that live in the society. And, uh, and uh, you know, it rings hollow for, uh, you know, for, for me, that cries of, uh, you know, freedom and democracy and whatnot, because uh, under capitalism, the masses of the uh, of working people do not have freedom. That's something that they have to struggle and fight for, and that struggle can only be waged successfully through permanent political organization. Thank you, brother Anthony. You know, panelists, analysts, analysts uh, I try not to interject too much in the discussion, but basically try to formulate the nature of the discussion. Well, I am real um, perplexed in terms of a couple of things that may have been raised tonight that I would like to hear, get everybody to weigh in on. And I would pick it back, back towards what Anthony just stated. I like, I would like to have a little bit of discussion on, you know, for a few minutes, really on this illusion in the U.S., in all Western countries, this illusion or this thing of freedom of speech, what that really means and what that really entails. What's good? What good is freedom of speech if there is such a thing? If you don't have no means of carrying out what you what you're trying to convey, what good to have freedom of speech if it means you don't have the power to implement it? What good does it mean to have freedom of speech if you're free to say anything and everything and even with democratized ignorance? Is this the kind of freedom of speech we are talking about that exists in America, or does it exist at all? Brother Haki, your response. <laughs> very, very good point, Brother Africa. Let's let's be let's be very candid and very honest. Uh, this question of freedom of speech is, is a uh, 
it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's disingenuous at its core. Uh, to the extent you got freedom of speech depends on uh, what you're saying and how you're saying it. Uh, one of the things we have to understand a bit about history, when we talk about the Citizens United ruling, when they rule that your, your right to speech is correlates directly to how much money you have or how much power you have. So essentially what the premium position of power was saying, the Supreme Court in particular, what they were saying is that if you don't have money, you don't have free speech. So when you look at a situation in terms of, um, let me give you an example. When you look at a situation in terms of, um, uh, in terms of let's say, cable television, and his, let's say 15 years ago you would have many points of view in, around particular issues. Well, if we fast forward currently, then we look at in terms of point of views and reflected in cable TV is almost nil, particularly from a progressive perspective. But yet, the the corporate perspective or the conservative perspective is always being advertised on television. Now, the mere fact that increasingly people are being turned off because they realize they've been manipulated you know, by the news, so they don't watch cable like they used to, you know, uh, uh, five ten years ago. Well, the old people position of power got smart. They said, well, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to simply go on, go on, on the Internet, these various social uh, platforms, and we're going to pay them to present our point of view. And so, therefore, those point of views that are progressive, those point of views that point out uh, capitalism shortcoming, those point of views that point out how the people are being manipulated, those point of views no longer uh, uh, have access to those, those social pro, uh, platforms. And so if the question is if, in fact, we have this freedom of speech, then you certainly we can reason that uh, if we had freedom of speech really existed, then we would be systematically cut off from being able to get, a, get an idea out you know, to the world, to the public. So this notion of, of, of freedom of speech is a misnomer. We've got to be very careful about that. Uh, and one of the things, when, and, and Sister, um, Sister Eleanor, when we talk about freedom of speech as related to, to China, the Chinese got more freedom of speech than we have here. Don't be deceived by the propaganda about to say, oh, oh my goodness, they, they they can't speak in China because the China is so authoritarian. Oh, they, they you know, people are scared. Da, 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 da. Well, when when Ji uh, the the uh, the diplomat of China, when he met with the the U.S. representatives in Anchorage, Alaska, when he talked to them, he talked frankly. He said, "Listen, you keep telling people this nonsense about China, and you know it's not true. Why do you persist?" I mean, obviously, you know, you're not, you know, you, 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 you're waging this war of propaganda in China, but despite your efforts at propaganda, you're not going to succeed. Because you know why? Because China does those things which the world wants. You know, China builds. China assists. Uh, China respects people's autonomies. Those are the things the U.S. don't do. So when we talk about your, your, your freedom of speech, we've got to understand your freedom say what? And let me say one other thing. Let's be very clear on this point. We can talk on this radio and we can, we're free to, to articulate whatever. To the extent, to the extent that this platform becomes so big, we'll be out of here. Let's be clear about that. Nobody's under any illusions that we're going to be able to do this indefinitely. We understand they're monitoring every damn thing we say. And they understand that the masses of people around the world listen to what we have to say. When the point that we become too big, they will cancel this platform. Let's be clear on that point. So this freedom of speech that we keep talking about, we've got to understand that it only exists in the theoretical realm. They tell us that we've got freedom of speech, but the reality is we don't have freedom of speech. Let's see you go on in a, in a, in a, in a news program and an attempt to bring about, to talk about the, the shortcomings of capitalism. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Matter of fact, 
to the point that uh, when you talk about lack of freedom of speech, when you talk about the American Legislative Executive Committee in terms of their ability, in terms of working with corporations to actually monitor what you what you speak, what you talk about, if you say things that they don't like, you're guaranteed not to get a job in America. How free is that in terms of speech? This is in part accounts for why people are afraid and scared as hell to even say anything. People will listen, but they're afraid to say anything. Because if this is about saying thing, at some point the state is going to use that against me. And that's true. I mean, that's very, very true. But what I try to get people to understand is that even though you may, you may feel there's some repercussions in terms of free speech, you don't have a choice. When you get an opportunity to do it, take advantage of it. Because the bottom line is that when we talk about the flow of history, it's very, very clear that as things deteriorate in society, no one is going to escape. I don't give a damn how, how, how pragmatic you are. I don't care how much you censor your speech. It doesn't matter. The bottom line, when this goes, the pain and suffering and the injustice inflicted upon the people is going to increase exponentially. And that's no getting around that. So being, being pragmatic or being quiet or, sense, or self-censorship, censoring your own speech, does nothing in terms of changing that dynamic. So clearly, let's, let's be real. So when we talk about freedom of speech, understand this is only exists in a theoretical realm. It doesn't exist in reality. Not close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, your response. What is your position on this illusion of freedom of speech, Brother Anthony? Well, uh, the U.S. is governed by a lot of illusions. Uh, freedom of speech is one of them. Democracy being another. But uh, but but uh, but the reason why these illusions get perpetrated is because the ruling bourgeoisie, the small, very small group of people, control the edu- educational system and mass media of the U.S. So their ideas dominate. And uh, when any when anybody raises criticisms or struggles against the ideas of the ruling class, they get shut down or suppressed somehow. Usually through uh, either uh, economic reprisals, in some cases even laws of life and career, which is why a lot of people who've struggled against uh, 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 oppressive U.S. policies uh, historically have had the, either their careers cut short, in some cases their lives cut short because of what they were saying. But that cannot stop us. Uh, so one of the uh, uh, the many lessons our ancestor taught us, the price of freedom is death, and uh, it literally is. But uh, you know, and history has shown that. But in order to leave a better life for our children, uh, you know, we we have to be willing to make those kind of sacrifices. And uh, you know, not to frighten people, but you know, but but there's an old saying that everybody's going to die eventually. So uh, you you do have in in some influence on how you go out. 
But, uh, you know, what I want to emphasize to people is that it's important that we become permanently organized. But Brother Anthony got a memo. The Christians teach you that in order to get to heaven, you got to die, though. So people shouldn't be scared of dying. That's the only way you can get to heaven, right? Then what is the problem? Okay, let's move on. Let's go to that Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, you would take on this, this, this illusion, this question of freedom. What is this we're talking about? Uh, yes. Freedom um, of speech. I, what, I, what is this we were talking about? I don't know. I'm yeah, confused. Y'all help me out. I concur with Brother Hakim and Brother Anthony. Uh, even on this platform uh, that we're speaking on tonight, I have heard the playbacks of 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 uh, echo static, and I'm not. not I I don't want to uh, want to want to be idealistic and saying, oh, this assuming, oh, this oh, it's just regular technical difficulties. Uh, He's just having technical difficulties on this show. Uh, I beg to differ. Um, I'm not. I'm not naive to the point that when you hear these, uh, you know, pauses in the show or technical quote unquote technical difficulties, I'm not naive to the fact that the show is being manipulated by higher powers. Um, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's. We cannot be naive that yeah, freedom of speech, but freedom of speech of what? You know, we're not freedom to speak like 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 uh, brother Haki stated. Um, we can't be we can't be naive to the fact that if we if this show was to gain track, I mean, I'm not saying it's not gaining traction. Let's say this show went viral, made it on uh, Western uh, uh, propaganda platforms. Yes, all of us on this show would definitely be more, you know, be more of a of a uh, target, if you will. So in that case, the freedom of speech is an illusion. You know, I mean, we cannot be naive to the, naive to the fact of, of this freedom of speech, or like Brother Anthony said, the democracy, or or even to quote another ancestor, Kwame uh, uh, Tewate, black visibility. A lot of my peers get happy when they see a person like Jay Z. Oh, he's doing his thing, or we get a first black this or a first black that. We can't be naive to the fact of black capitalism, uh, or, or being a first black is somehow. Uh, uh, um, it's solution, or we are moving forward. It's progress. It's not. It's all like like uh, brother brother Africa, like you just stated. It's an illusion. It's another illusion. So you know, all of this cannot. All of this, the illusion will continue to take place until political education is set in place. When you, once you have political edu- education, it will help a blind person to see what the heck is going on. When you have political education, and, and you know, I'm just saying, blind person. This, uh, by eye-wise and brain-wise level of thinking, like, but you have to have political education, political training to understand uh, current events, history, all everything that we discuss on this platform tonight is connected. Um, but we cannot be naive to the excuse me, naive to the fact that somehow when we get a, a first black or, or when we get oh we got freedom of speech, democracy, uh, we got a house, uh, we got a car. Oh, we doing good? No, we not doing good. How in the hell I'm gonna sit here and say, "Oh, we doing good as a people?" Because I got a home, but you got masses of people. Um, eviction is on on the rise. That we, uh, I don't, I beg to differ. So yes, it is an illusion, and we have to. The only way to break that illusion is through p- political education and political organization, like Promise Ray stated. So, so Shorty, your thoughts on this concept of freedom of speech? Does it really exist in America? Uh, 
No, I, I don't think so. And since I spoke so damn long earlier, I'm, I'm almost hoarse, but I'm going to conclude with this, that I believe that once again that uh, Brother Hackey, Brother Maurice, and Brother Anthony are right on target uh, with, with their uh, comments. Um, this freedom of speech uh, stuff is a huge ruse, uh, and uh, not to recognize that, uh, then we will do ourselves and others a disservice. Thank you, Brother Moses. Your, your comment on this, on this issue of freedom of speech. Where are you? Are you with us, Brother Moses? I can why we waiting for Brother Moses. If he's not going to respond to this, we would like to give Sister Eleanor your final thoughts. Where are you at on this issue again, freedom of speech, particularly in contracts in America? Your final thoughts, Sister Eleanor. Well, I concur with uh, Brother Hakeem Anthony and Brother Maurice. It is a ruse. However, um, my concern is uh, something very basic. The, the inequality between whites and blacks uh, presents, pres- persists in almost every aspect of society and the economy in the Americas. And uh, clearly this inequality was born from the enslavement of African people in British colonies since the early 1600s. And, 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 and there have been, as uh, um, uh, Brother Marie said, some quote-unquote advancements and that there's some progress in recent decades. But the, the wide gap is rooted in le- the legacy of slavery, segregation, and discrimination. And that seems to be enduring through the years and to have, have uh, widened. And this uh, systemic racism is uh, one of the greatest uh, inequities in the United States. And we need to, with all our power, to fight that. Black people are living with less education, less wealth, less uh, poorer health, shorter lifespans. So are Native Americans. When are we going to turn this around? And I do say and have to repeat, we can only do this through organizing, through a variety of forms and actions, whether it's picking up the pen and writing letters, whether it's demonstrating in the street, whether it's organizing voter campaigns. Clearly, they make a difference, even in a desperate situation as we face in this country. So uh, freedom of speech is... is, uh, um, as as everyone said, it's, it's limited. If this this podcast were to become uh, uh, something that three or four million people listen to this week, there would be concerns about what what we say and what we do. And I've seen so many people lose their careers. Look at James Foreman during the civil rights movement. He had to drive people to after the civil rights movement. Even Andy Young said he couldn't even get a job. 
It was thankful to the unions that it even gave him an office. He had to drive people to the grocery store to make make ends meet. Thank God he had children and they helped support him. So there is an incredible amount of uh, uh, discrimination in our country, and uh, uh, people are definitely taken out both financially, economically, socially. Uh, political economic oppression is uh, is a definite reality that we live with each day. But that does not mean uh, do not stand up, do not speak out. Instead, I would rather say speak out, stand up, stand strong, and again, united the people can never be defeated. Make a difference where you stand. The micro uh, politics of where you stand, as one of the speakers said earlier, they were talking about the legislative efforts happening across this country since the 2020 elections and the demonstrations, these peaceful demonstrations uh, that resulted from the murder of George Floyd in the streets of Minneapolis. Since that time and this past November election, the legislature is trying to limit voter access, they're trying to limit your right to assembly and demonstration. So how do we combat that? United. And organization is definitely the way to do it. If you're not welcome in an organization, form your own because we need to change. And we have this opportunity every day we wake up and, 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 and have another day to live. We have an opportunity to change the world and make it a better place. And global warming is a major crisis. If we don't stop these capitalists now, they're going to be merchandising clean air and green spaces to live. So we really have to stop now. And if anything in this country, we need to reduce our carbon footprint by 70% or more in the next decade, and so does everyone else. And anyone that's building coal, uh, anyone that, and of course, the West and the United States holds the historic responsibility for the carbon footprint, but it's uh, attempting to change. So we don't need to point fingers at who's doing it. We all have to stop doing it now that we know the problem. So, again, uh, I can't uh, say enough about the, uh, the, the, the big gap that I face in this country as an African-American is rooted in the legacy of slavery, segregation, and discrimination. And it's endured, and it's widening in years. You see this housing has become industrialized. If you live in a, if you want to live in a tax credit property and you have a criminal record, you're not allowed to live. But if you own Main Street Corporation and you were incarcerated for bribing a Richmond uh, a, a council person, you have the right to own the property and get your federal uh, tax credit for providing housing for middle and low-income people. So there is a lot of discrepancies in this society. But when you provide a form for people to educate and bring this forward, to a larger population, you are creating a possibility of change, a possibility of growth for all of us to grow in consciousness and awareness. And I never for one moment forget 
that I am a victim of what was a British colony that imported Africans, and ever since that begun, we've been the target for everything. We It's just a foot on our neck. George Floyd, the day I saw that video and I saw that urine coming from under the truck, I knew the man was dead. I never had to watch it twice. I don't find pleasure in watching uh, death on screen. And as far as television goes, let me tell you, Richard Murdoch and a few people seem to own everything, and Fox TV is off the chain. And now we have people using algorithms, so those that are computer literate, they turn on their computers and they see what they like to see instead of us all getting together from different backgrounds, different ideas, and working together to raise each other's consciousness. We have Big Brother feeding it to us on a stream uh, that we call the Internet. It's ridiculous. So I just say uh, united we stand, divided we fall. So I stand in unity, and thank you all for all your wonderful presentations this evening. And on that note, we're going to take a station break. When we come back, we're going to have to close out this program. we have each one of y'all give us your final thoughts. This is part two. They are doing it their way. For those articles that we didn't get a chance to articulate on this program, we promise you we will incorporate them into future programs. So right now we're going to take this rubbish and culture break, and when we come back, we're going to return with everybody's final thoughts for tonight. This is Africa on the Move.
and steal from one another. You get caught in the mid. Folks are crushed that stereotype. Here's what we did. We got ourselves together so that you could unite and fight for what's right. Not negative cause. The way we live is positive. We don't kill our relatives. Pop, 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 when it's shot, who's the blame? Headlines, front page, and rap, the name. MC Delight here to state the bottom line. The black on black crime was way before time. Took a brother's life with a knife at his wife. Cried because he died. A trifling death when he left his very last breath. Was I slept to watch his steps? Back in the 60s, our brothers and sisters were hanged. How could you gangbang? I never ever ran from the Ku Klux Klan, and I shouldn't have to run from a black man. Because that. Winter 
Next we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, been a very interesting show. I do want to say about freedom there, we have to be responsible in terms of freedom of speech and stuff. Obviously, you know, the example of, you know, you can't have a fire in a, in a theater, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a responsibility with freedom of speech. But there's no such thing as freedom in the abstract. There's freedom freedom to do something, and, and you're freedom from something. That usually the consequences of, of your actions tell you what, how much freedom you have. Uh, anyway, it's been a very interesting show. I, I thank you. I learned a lot, and I continue to, to be Try to be a humble servant. Thank you. We thank you, Brother Moses. And next we'll go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, your final thoughts for tonight. Um, before we conclude, I just want to give thanks to Queen Mother Moore. Uh, she was the founder of the Republic of New Africa, INA. She died on this day in 1997. I also want to uh, give thanks to Sarah Shakur, who was attacked uh, by racist state troopers in New Jersey. Uh, in 1973 on this day, I want to get greetings um, to those uh, heroes, 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 uh, elders. Um, I also want to thank uh, all the participants tonight, all of the uh, panelists here tonight on giving great uh, presentations and having a great dialogue about understanding uh, the true meaning of what is what did it mean by freedom of speech. Um, and just, just uh, you know, breaking that down a little bit more. I will, conc- I will conclude to say the future is in the youth hands. Please build a, a political education uh, circle unit. Uh, young pioneers, uh, Yuhuru School, however you want to frame it. Um, we need, we need. This is imperative that we do this with any children uh, that 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 that, we, that that's around us. Uh, niece, uh, nieces, nephews. Uh, neighbors, grandchildren, uh, sons, daughters, what have you, granddaughters, whatever the, uh, the format is, um, we definitely need uh, political education among the youth, among teenagers, um, because they would carry they would carry this on, the struggle on, uh, and and make the future uh, brightful for a scientific and socialist uh, United Africa, scientific socialist wherever we at. Um, whatever community we're in, we need to get to that point of thinking. And as always, Brother Africa, thank you so much for having having Africa on the move. Africa is on the move, and we are moving on a day to day basis. Have a good night. Thank you, Brother Maurice, particularly for the little historical facts. And right now, we are going to Sister Shirley. Sister Shirley, your final thoughts for tonight. Um. Yes, I was. First of all, I want to thank you for Gil Scott Heron uh, coming on in the in winter in America, and it made me thinking more and more about the decadence of Mer- of America now, and in thought, in process. Uh, a society that's in moral decline. And if I could speak on a personal note here, I I feel a need and wish I could go to 
three countries that actually changed my life because I think by going to these three countries that uh, I would be renewed and and uh, even more dedicated than I'm feeling at the moment. First one is Cuba. There's no better place to be, in my opinion, than Cuba when you are ready for the revolution and you want to be among people who you can talk about those things with freely. And after my several trips to Cuba, my life has changed so positively. The second place is Haiti. I was there six weeks after the 2004 coup d'etat. And um, Haiti taught me two things very quickly. One, the Haitian people are the bravest people on the face of the earth. And two, it teaches you to be humble. And then the final place that changed my life was Guinea, where my husband is from. And being in Guinea, uh, and I was able to spend a lot of time there, was was uh, a gift to my soul as well. So um, I have had these three countries in my mind for quite a while over the last couple of weeks, thinking about how they affected me how they challenged me, and how they uh, uh, made me want to do better and uh, to help others more. And I'll close with that. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Sister Shirley. And I concur with you. Those three countries are also on Alice. And we'd like to share with our listening audience from December 27th to January 3rd. We ask you to email us if you have an interest in going on our feeder ride and Black History Culture Tour to Cuba from December the 27th to January 3rd. And in the near future, we also look at going to Haiti, Guinea, Brazil, and other countries where you find people who are struggling for their liberation. So please um, email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com if you're interested in going, as well as if you're interested in, like, if you're interested in supporting this program and want to be a friend of Africa on the Move. Email us and we'll tell you how. Next we'll move to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts on the night, Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, <clears throat> I can only say that there's something amiss in the society. There seems to be a maniacal uh, presence 
in a society. Uh, you know, recently, um, Senator Arkansas, uh, Tom Carton, he made a statement about uh, the problem in the United States is not enough people being incarcerated. <laughs> Ironically, America leads the world in terms of incarcerating its citizens. And the mere fact that he made that statement speaks to a kind of indifference to humanity. Unfortunately, this kind of difference in humanity uh, supersedes all the institutions of the, of the land. And so this indifference to, um, you know, uh, to, to humanity only becomes reinforced when you, when you think in terms of the, kind of the level of kind of social conditioning employed by those positions of power to affect the uh, program people to do things that are not, on, not in their own self-interest. And that is the most deadliest uh, uh, form of uh, propaganda. And I think that to the extent that people are, are programmed to do things, you know, against their own self-interest. The question is, becomes, you know, how do you confront it? I mean, how do you get people to, to understand, you know, that the values that you hold, the ideas that you hold are kind of productive, that they do more to destroy you or to limit your future for your children? And, uh, and what can you do in terms of, in terms of overcoming that? Well, it's a very difficult question in terms of to engage. Uh, you know, this, this question, to, because it works on an unconscious level, uh, this conditioning process. Uh, well, let's let's be clear. Uh, the people in positions of power understand that as long as kind of condition is effective, they continue to use it. And the only way we can engage the effectiveness of, of this, 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 this social conditioning that we look at the people. Uh, the people will tell you when, they, in fact, they are confronting this this this, this social uh, the social conditioning. To the extent that people stand up and uh, reaffirm their right to be free, their right to speak their mind, their right to live with dignity, their right to hold a job without being uh, denigrated, the moment they get to that point, then you recognize that the social conditioning is not being a factor. Of course, when they get to that, 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 to that, 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 that level of consciousness, then we understand that that becomes an implicit threat, uh, implicit threat uh, to people in positions of power, and we understand that. But nonetheless, in order to move forward, we got to have some clarity of thought, and that is important. But as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix, and, you know, without that, that process unraveling the unknown, that's so way conceivable to move forward. We have to understand the nature of the beast and uh, look at it squarely in the eyes and formulate some strategies in terms of moving forward. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Thank you, Brother Haki. And before we go to Brother Anthony, we would like to say to our friends, supporters, and listening audience, those who are listening to, that, listening to this program, we want you to join us next week. And we're going to have a serious discussion, a two- to three-hour discussion, on the whole essence of freedom and this narrative that we are free within the borders of America. For the whole two to three hours, we'd like for you to shine in, and the theme is freedom. So stay tuned next week. That's what we're going to do here on Africa on the Move. Now, for our final thoughts for tonight, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, to your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. Certainly. Uh, my final thought for tonight is that in light of what I learned uh, from, uh, the, uh, from the participants in tonight's program, that more than ever, we must intensify our level of organization if we are to be free. In addition, we must politically educate each other. We cannot uh, uh, hoard the knowledge that we've, uh, that we've gained uh, throughout our lives. We must share it, 
and there's no vehicle, better vehicle to share it than through permanent mass political organization. And one such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about us by checking out our website. And you can also find out more about how to participate in African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, Nakba, by checking out our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. And, and if you have, uh, and if at all possible, if you can make time, check out our African Liberation Day, Palestine Day commemoration on May 22nd, 2021. Website, Brother Anthony, again, where you can find the website? Sure. The website is www dot a dash a p r p dash g c dot org. All right, thank you, Brother Anthony. Thank all of our contributors, panelists, and analysts. Thank all our listeners. Thank all those who allow us to come to their home to speak truth to power, and thank all those who may hear this program later. We'd like to thank you for supporting Africa on the Move, and we will remind you next week. We would like to have a serious dialogue on this narrative of freedom. What does this really mean in this narrative that's coming out of the United States around this concept of freedom? We will have a two-hour special just on that alone. So tune in next week, same time, same place. Until next time, you know how we do this. Like always, we can strive to go forward, ever, backwards, and level. This has been Africa on the Move. We have discussed many issues in which they are doing it their way. And since they are doing it their way, you only have two choices. Either you go along the way, their way, or you create your own way and do it your way. That is your choice. So the issue is what you're going to do. Until next time, we're going to move to go forward and backwards down. And we see you next week. This is Africa on the Move. You listen to Brother Africa.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Right. 
What if mine had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration business integrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. We wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did us way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler, trying to be a people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own downfall. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue in the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Fight behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. Be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause the mom had Twitter. The Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today.
harder in chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yes, to last through my journey. Arrival. We must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, for soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. 